What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to hear you out, listen to your questions, and then hopefully respond to them in such a way that is helpful for you and your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the particular saints that God our Father desires for you to be. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with questions dealing with anything and everything from evangelization, catechesis, spirituality, justice, morality, a discernment, relationship advice, and I will try to respond in a way that is conducive for you to grow in virtue and become a saint. However, disclaimer, I'm not perfect. I am very broken, and every now and then, I might give some advice that, in fact, is really not helpful for you. And so if that's the case, I want to encourage you to be free to just reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint. If it is, however, very helpful but difficult, then I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ can give you the graces that you will need to fulfill the demands of discipleship. Shoot me an email at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com and you can also rate and review us on iTunes so other people can find out about the gift of the show. If the show is helpful for you, potentially, it may be helpful for them as well. So this is an exciting month uh, for our nation. It's Black History Month. And so today we're going to do a Black History Month special. And so on today's episode, we're going to talk about the need for diverse images of Jesus, Mary, Joseph, the heavenly course of angels, as well as the saints um, in our churches and our schools and our places of growth for holiness. Um, we're also going to discuss praying through our experiences of racial inequality when we are the minority in the particular church that we are uh, growing in, and also the impact of war on drugs in American um, black families, particularly, but um, in, in America. And so before we get jumping into those awesome topics, we're going to uh, talk about a glory story. So my glory story this week comes from some time that I got to spend at Dr. Martin Luther King's church in Montgomery, Alabama. I was able to go there for a visit and and spend a lot of time praying in the sanctuary where he spent many of his years pastoring the people that he was accompanying in their walk toward eternity. And so I brought my breviary as a priest. We make a promise to pray the liturgy of the hours five times a day. And every time we pray the liturgy of the hours, we all, always offer them up for someone else because they're the Psalms and the Psalms of the prayer of Christ. And Christ always offer those prayers for other people. So as I brought my liturgy of the hours into Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s church in Montgomery, Alabama, I started praying the liturgy of the hours and I was drawn to pray for him. And let me tell you an experience I had a few years ago, which will give you some insight as to what I was specifically praying for him for. So a few years ago, whenever I was praying night prayer after doing a, I was doing like a young adult college conference and I after the conference, I was driving back home, and it was really late, and I had some friends with me, so we prayed night prayer in the car. And I told God, I said, God, I'm so tired. I don't know who to offer this this liturgy of the hours up for, so you just pick the person who needs my prayers the most and apply the graces to them. And all of a sudden, as I began to chant the Psalms, I was, I was brought to see St. Paul in my prayer. And I saw St. Paul from 2 Corinthians 11 whenever he was being persecuted and he was shipwrecked and stoned and beaten and imprisoned and uh, betrayed by close friends and all these terrible things happened. Then God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. (laughs) My grace is sufficient for you. Like in the midst of everything he went through, God spoke to him and then he was able to receive God's grace and he was able to persevere in his walk toward eternity. And 
in a very real way, I was able to to perceive that God knew that I was going to offer up my liturgy of the hours, and He was going to apply those psalms that I was praying in two thousand, I think fifteen, it was the year, to Saint Paul, two thousand years ago. Because prayer is outside of time. Jesus Christ is outside of time, and so Jesus Christ applied my prayers of intercession to Him, which then gave Him the courage to continue to persevere and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was very powerful. And so uh, we've seen this happen in the, in, in church history. Uh, in recent years, uh, John Paul revealed that it was Jacinta's prayers at Fatima that saved him from dying whenever he was shot uh, by the assassin, the, the guy who wanted to be an assassin in 1981. Uh, St. Jacinta prayed for John Paul in 1917. John Paul was not born until 1919. Those prayers were applied to him in 1981. So prayer applies to the future, the past, and the present moment. So I was able to pray. God received those prayers, gave him St. Paul. So I believe. Well, now here I am in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s church, and I just began to pray for him. And I was I was able to like perceive like, wow, Lord, like you can use my prayers today to apply them to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. many years ago so that he would then maybe persevere. Right. He could have quite possibly persevered because God knew that I was going to offer prayers of intercession for him that he received then because God applied them to him. Then I know this sounds all crazy, but it's so cool. Right. So. I, that was a beautiful time of prayer. But then I also asked the Holy Spirit to to share with me what the Holy Spirit shared with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that, that prophetic spirit, that prophetic voice, that prophetic witness to to work toward bringing about a civilization of authentic love, even if that means that I have to live a nightmare like Dr. King lived a nightmare in his walk toward eternity. He had a dream, but he lived a nightmare. He was persecuted. His family suffered. He suffered greatly, and many people suffered at the hands of, um, I would call them, uh, American terrorists on our own soil, right, who were racist and who were trying to continue to promote um, their ideology. But he persevered, and he was he, he died for the cause, and, and after he died, his dream began to be manifested, and I would suggest that it's still being manifested. It has not fully been achieved, um, but hopefully um, my prayers today were of some assistance to him then. So that's my glory story. hope it all made sense. I know it sounded all supernatural, but that is my glory story for today, and I hope and pray that uh, if you've never prayed the Liturgy of the Hours of Psalms, that you will begin that practice sometime this week, um, because it is the prayer of the church, and it is a gift, not only for you, but it's a gift for other people in their walk toward eternity. All right. All right, before we get jumping into today's topics, I have some follow-up feedback from our listeners. Marissa, 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 you remind me of a West Side Story, she writes. Thank you, Father Josh, for answering our question. You answered it perfectly. I feel so much better knowing it truly isn't bad to have a tattoo. To have a tattoo, hey, I'll always love you. That's uh, Jordan Sparks. It was her first song that hit the charts after American Idol back in 2007, I believe. That was the jam back then. Um, also, Lisa, 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 she writes, Hi, Father Josh. It happens a lot. That I get a song stuck in my head for a few days. For an entire week, I had the song, You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. Running run through my head. I'm sorry about to sing, <laughs> sing those lyrics. That was actually your question. Running through my head. I didn't even know who sang the song or where I heard it. After a few days, I realized I should pay attention to the words. I started thinking of God or my late husband singing them to me. And later on that same day, I was listening to your podcast about Eucharistic adoration. 
Suddenly, I hear you singing, you're just too good to be true, can't take my eyes off of you, you be like heaven to touch, I want to hold you so much, and that's an uh, 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 mashed potatoes and gravy, <laughs> I need you, Jesus, <laughs> and I was floored, I, it took I took it as a confirmation that those words really were meant for me and that it wasn't an accident that they had been going through my head all week. Thank you, God. And thank you for your great podcast. God bless you, Lisa. Well, praise God, Lisa. I'm glad I was able to be used by an instrument so you could perceive the supernatural all around you. And finally, uh, Tony, Tony, Tony writes, hey, Father Josh, this is Tony uh, T. Oh, and why? And thank you so much for answering my question on same-sex adoption a couple of weeks ago. I could really tell that you wrestled and prayed with my question very thoroughly by the content and length of your response. I appreciated the relatability of story that you shared about your friend, what you said about living the Catholic life joyfully to bring other people to Christ makes so much sense. Yet, I feel it is hard to do this all the time. Sometimes I get that feeling of being alone in this when none of my other 20-something-year-old friends really care about being a man of God. But... The effort is there, and I'm trying. It's all we can do. Christina Mead's blog on this topic on Life Teen was extremely helpful in addition to your response. It's definitely a resource that I'm sure I will reference in future conversations. And the natural law argument is always a staple in this conversation. At the end of the day, love is willing the best for someone else. And purposely and willfully depriving a child of what is best for them is definitely not love. Uh, these teachings may be hard for those who are not already actively seeking the truth and the teachings of Christ to accept. But nonetheless, you're doing an outstanding job, Father Josh. You really are. Your podcast has touched so many people's lives in so many ways and given us all confidence in our beliefs. Keep doing what you're doing. And my prayers are always with you. Side note, your potato analogy was fantastic. Praise God. Uh, Tony, I'm not going to lie, bro. I've gotten so many responses from uh, my family and friends and listeners to the podcast about the potato analogy and how they would never look at potatoes the same. So uh, potato industry, you're welcome. All right, <laughs> let's jump into today's questions. First question comes in from Ryan. Ryan says, I'm somewhat disturbed that the vast majority of portrayals of Christ, Mary, the apostles, etc., are as European in appearance. I know that the church allows for different ethnic depictions of Christ, but it seems that most of what I ever see is of a white Jesus. Given the history of colonialism and racism, I find this as problematic. I would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. That is a great question, Ryan, and I have many thoughts on this topic. Uh, first one is, why are there so many European manifestations of Jesus, of Mary, of some of the saints and whatnot. Um, some of them are because um, of the apparitions of Jesus. So again, apparitions happen all through the Bible. Apparitions happen in the Old Testament. Angels appear to Abraham, to Lot. Um, Angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, to Joseph. Uh, Jesus Christ himself appeared to Saul. Uh, now we have Mary appearing all over the world, right? So apparitions have always happened. Um, even Moses and Elijah appeared to Peter, James, and John on, on top of Mount Tabor. Here's the deal, though. Whenever Jesus Christ, after the resurrection, was walking with the disciples, they didn't recognize him because he did not look the same as historical Jesus. So we know historical Jesus clearly was not blonde hair, blue eye. So if you see a painting of Jesus with blonde hair and blue eye, that is not a depiction, an authentic depiction of historical Jesus, right? Just it's not, right? If you see a painting of Mary with blonde hair and blue eyes, she was not European, right? She was um, living out there in Jerusalem. And so she would have probably looked more like 
um, a woman of Jerusalem, a Jewish woman then, same as Jesus Christ. So whenever Jesus Christ resurrected, he did not look like that because he was able to take on any appearance he wanted. So the disciples weren't able to perceive Jesus's um, presence until the breaking of the bread, until they saw him in the Eucharist. So we do know that when Jesus Christ appears in his glorified body, he can take on any shape or form that he desires to. And that's what he's done throughout these few centuries, right? When he appears to people, he oftentimes will appear um, to the person in their particular ethnicity. So whenever he appeared to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque or Alacoque or Alec, whatever her name is, Alice somebody, uh, who gave us the devotion of the Sacred Heart, he looked like a white guy because she was white. And when he appeared to St. Faustina in Poland, he appeared in a context in which she was able to relate with that. But likewise, whenever Mary has appeared all over the world, she always takes on the, the cultural expression, the ethnic expression of the people that she's talking to. And so whenever she appeared in Guadalupe, she looked like an Aztec Indian. Like She did not look white. She looked like an Aztec, one of the native people, the indigenous people of that land. Whenever she appeared in Lourdes, she looked like a white woman. Whenever she appeared in Cabello, she looked like a mulatto woman. And so whenever Our Lady, whenever Our Blessed Lord appears, they can take on the appearance of the people with whom they are having a discussion with. And so quite often, some of our very popular artwork, like Divine Mercy, like Sacred Heart, like Lourdes, Fatima, etc., um, they might be white because that's how they appeared in the apparition. But other expressions like Cabejo, Guadalupe, um, etc., they aren't white because they did not appear to be white when they appeared to those particular people. Um, and so that's why some of the artwork is the way it is. However, also, some people do try to depict the historical Jesus um, as their own culture expression, and that would not be an appropriate depiction of Christ because he wasn't from America. He wasn't from, from somewhere else. Like he, he was from a specific place, a specific time and land. And so the historical paintings of Jesus should look a certain way, I, I think. Um, but when we talk about Jesus and his apparitions, they can be um, in, in really any cultural expression, because whenever the Lord appears, he can appear however he chooses to those people who he is appearing to, if that makes sense. Um, is it dangerous to only have European expressions of Jesus, Mary, Joseph, the angels and saints? Yes, it is so dangerous. And here's why, because whenever we go out to evangelize, to make disciples of all nations, and we invite them to the sacramental life of the Catholic Church so they can be in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament and become saints where most saints have been historically formed, which is in the presence of the Eucharist. If they come into a building where every image of holiness is white, and every image of that which is not sacred and not holy is dark, then that's going to push a lot of people away. I've seen this happen to my own family. I've had a brother who walked into church one time, and the only image of Satan was of a brown man, and he walked away. Um, I, uh, For time being, my dad, we were on a pilgrimage one time, and we were at this awesome gift shop in Alabama, and we we're having a great time. And my dad's not Catholic, but he's super reverent to the Catholic faith. He loves the Holy Father. He loves the Catholic Church. And as we walk around this gift store, my dad saw this image of St. Michael as a white man, and Satan was depicted as a brown man. And my dad legit was offended. He is not sensitive at all. And so for my dad to say, Josh, that's not right, I knew that that was an issue, right, um, when my dad said something, because he, he, he is a man of very few words. Um, and so what often happens is, is our artwork can either be a bridge for people to come into intentional relationship with Jesus Christ and become disciples of our Lord, or it can become a barrier for people to become intentional disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I just, I, I like to propose to people to check your artwork in your church um, and make sure that we're not depicting evil as dark and good as white, um, because it does offend people. Here is what Bishop Edward Braxton did. Bishop Edward Braxton, 
Uh, he's the Bishop of Belleville, Illinois. He wrote a pastor letter on the racial divide in America because the racial divide in America is very real. Um, and one thing he did was a thought experiment. Um, and he gave a narrative that portrayed the American Catholic Church as if it was predominantly black and the minority wasn't black people, but it was actually white people. Just to give people an idea of what many um, African-Americans, Latino-Americans, Asian-Americans perceive whenever they walk into most of our churches in America. And here's a thought experiment. So I want to invite you to, to, to go along with this with me really quick. This is what the bishop writes. Imagine yourself as a white American, teenager living in a poor urban area with few opportunities for you to get a good education and find meaningful employment. Imagine that some of your friends are troublemakers, and when the African-American police come around, they often intimidate them. This frightens you because another white friend of yours was shot and killed by an African-American police when he reached into his pocket for his wallet, which they thought was a gun. Since you were very young, your parents have cautioned you to avoid contact with the police because they may suspect you of wrongdoing. You and your friends whose families are struggling to make ends meet live near the neighborhood Catholic Church. You've never been inside the church. You and your family are not members of the Catholic Church, which some of your relatives call a black racist institution which traditionally has not shown much interest in inviting white people to join the parish. You and your friends feel that a church that promises the joy of eternal life after you die while offering little help in your daily struggles is not very meaningful. You feel you need a church that will be at your side, engaged in the struggle, helping you to find a God of the oppressed, an angel of freedom and justice. You need a church that embraces, celebrates, and is informed by the white experience. If God is to be really a God for you, he must be God, the liberator, who uproots injustice and oppression by his mighty power. A God of the status quo is dead. Now imagine that an African-American acquaintance, sensing that you are discouraged, persuades you to go with him to his very church, St. Charles Luanga, for Mass. You enter the church and all the images of the sacred are in Afrocentric art. All images of Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the saints are as people of color, African, Hispanic, Asian, or Native American. God the Father himself is painted on the ceiling of the church as a distinguished older black gentleman. You think to yourself, God the Father is absolute spirit. He has no race or nationality or anatomical gender. Scripture never describes him as an elderly African-looking brown-skinned man. You wonder if the Catholic Church believes that only people of African ancestry are in heaven. You notice that even the angels in the church have African features. If angels have no bodies and no gender, if they are pure spirits, why are all races not represented? Just think of the impact they would have on unchurched white people like you if they encountered the image of a magnificent white angel with blonde hair and blue eyes when they entered the Catholic Church. You also notice that in the Catholic Church, black symbolizes everything that is good and holy, whereas white symbolizes evil and sin. The images of Satan, the devil, the demons in the church are all white. Later, you search art books and cannot find one image of Satan depicted in dark hues. He's always depicted in light pale colors. You ask your African-American acquaintance, wouldn't the Catholic Church be more truly universal and welcoming of all if the holy men and women of the Bible were pictured as people of different ethnic and racial backgrounds? After all, though we know they were Jewish, no one knows what they actually looked like. All Semitic people do not look like Western Europeans, he responds. That question has been asked before, and the response has usually been people who are white should realize that Afrocentric art represents them as well. Afrocentric art is universal. The all-black religious art is there for historical reasons. Even though a few, few churches have added a white saint here or there, for the most part, the few white Catholics we have in the church have simply accepted the fact that the majority of churches have few or no images of citizens of heaven who look like them. 
You ask your acquaintance, does the Catholic Church intend to perpetuate this all-black image of heaven in the churches of the future? The African-American acquaintance replies, there are a few churches in big cities with a large number of minorities where they have painted white angels and saints, but some of the older white people don't like it. They say they do not believe in a God that looks like them. In many countries where all the people are European, the people almost never complain about the all-African religious art. But you ask, what about here in the racially diverse United States? Why not? That's from The Racial Divide in the United States, a reflection for the World at Peace by Bishop Edward Braxton. So why not? You know, why can't we have more churches that have diverse artwork so that when people come, they can feel like, wow, I can be a saint too. Wow, wow I can be holy too. And they're not offended unnecessarily. So that's what my church did. Our Lady of Holy Rosary Catholic Church in Santa Maria, Louisiana. If you ever come here for worship, you're going to notice on the back of the church wall, we have a wall of saints. And on that wall, we have depicted saints of every different age, gender, nationality, state of life, vocation, vocation, black, white, male, female, Latino, um, Asian, cleric, religious, St. Josephine Bikita, St. Martin de Porres, St. Charles Luanga, St. John Paul II, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, St. Kateri Tekakwitha, St. Isaac Jogues, St. John of Rebuff. Like the list goes on and on and on. I want everyone to come here and say, I can be a saint. I see a saint that looks like me. I can be holy. Um, and same thing for the for the Lord, uh, the, the crucifix in the church um, is not pale. The, the crucifix in the church looks like a historical Jesus would have probably looked. He's he's um, light brown skin, um, as historical Jesus probably probably was, um, according to some historians who've done research. Um, that's debatable. Um, if you go into our Fuller Grace Cafe, that that wall of saints extends to every room in the cafe. There's a saint of a different state of life, culture, ethnicity, nationality, background, gender, age. Again, so everyone who comes to our campus will see saints that look like them and be inspired to be holy. Um, This is very easy to do, and I encourage you, if you don't have this in your church, to do this. Get stained glass. Uh, Bishop Barron, when he was the president rector of Mundelein Seminary, and he put together the uh, St. John Paul II chapel on their campus, he put stained glass of saints from every different background, black, white, male, female, young, old, right? So again, that way in the church, you're going to see images of holiness that draw people to want to enter into an intentional relationship with Jesus Christ who will form them to be saints. So that's something easy all of us can do. So that's what I think. Uh, I think it is a problem whenever we limit our churches to just European images um, of holiness and we don't expand to the diversity of, um, of what America actually looks like in the Catholic Church here. All right, next question comes in from Anonymous. Anonymous writes this. I am a black Catholic woman, and I love my faith. Sometimes I feel like I'm in between two worlds. Though I attend a predominantly black parish, when I visit other churches, I never quite know what I'm walking into. Will they be receptive of me? Will the homily talk about something in a way that will offend me as an African-American, which has happened before? Any tips on being madly in love with Jesus while not abandoning my culture and my attentiveness to racial inequality? A deep question, I know. But listening to your podcast has given me so much insight time and time again. God bless. Anonymous, great question. I'm with you, sister. I've been to situations, been to churches where priests who have come from particular environments where they've never been exposed to anyone outside of their own culture, their own ethnicity, their own socioeconomic background, get ordained, and then they start saying things. I'm like, whoa, you can't say that. But then I realized the reason why they say that is because they haven't been invited into a relationship with people who are different from them. And so sometimes... They're not trying to be offensive. They just don't know any better because they've lived a very sheltered life um, in their seminary experience, in their neighborhood they grew up in, in their home parish, and in their diocese potentially. So 
I know what you mean. Uh, so what's the what's the goal then? Um, three points. First point is this. Uh, remember, mass is mass. So we go to mass to worship God. Even if the music is terrible, even if the people next to us have body odor that's really bad, even if the readers cannot read well and the ushers are not joyful in greeting us, even if the priest um, is offensive at times, we go to mass to worship God the Father. And it's not always going to be easy to worship. Worship is not always going to be um, a fun experience. Sometimes it's going to even be painful. But whenever Mary and John went to the foot of the cross, it was painful, but they went because it was right to go to the sacrifice of Christ, the sacrifice of Calvary, to worship God the Father. So that's the very first thing that we're always called to do. I remember when I was in seminary, there was a priest who used to read his homilies, and as he was reading his homilies, he would literally edit them while reading them. It was the most miserable experience ever of a homily. Um, and But again, I had to remind myself, I'm here to worship. I'm here to be united in the one sacrifice of Christ and worship God the Father. So with that being said, why is it then that God sometimes invites you to leave your predominantly black par- parish and go to some predominantly white parishes where some of the priests might say things that are um, offensive uh, to African-Americans? Um, I think sometimes the Lord allows us to enter into those experiences because he, he's calling us to be the agents that he wants to use to transform their lives by entering into intentional relationships with them. Um, sometimes whenever we're in a relationship with somebody else, um, once their relationship is established, our hearts are opened and our minds are open to being informed. And with hearts that have been informed and minds informed, we can become people who transform the homilies, who transform policies in the parish, who transform the way we do things in the parish, the way we evangelize, catechize, and sacramentalize in the parish. We can either reform the church from within or we can revolt and leave. And then if we revolt and leave, and they may never experience a metanoia, a conversion of heart. That priest, those priests, those people have a gift to offer us, have a gift to offer you, but you, my sister in Christ, also have a gift to offer them. It's a mutual thing. And so whereas God might use them in some ways to help you become a saint, God is definitely calling you at times to be used to help them become saints who want to form disciples of all nations and not just some nations. That's one of the issues in the Catholic Church today is we look at the gospel and Jesus says, go out and make disciples of all nations. And we're content with just making disciples of some nations. We're content with not going outside the walls of our parish. We're content with not going beyond um, the, the, the block the church is on, but actually entering into the entire geographical boundaries of the church and inviting all people to the sacraments. That's not okay. But in order for us to learn how to speak in a way that is conducive for the bride to receive the gospel, we have to be in relationship with people who are difficult at times. So I think that God sometimes might be calling you to lean into those difficult relationships so you can be used by him to transform them um, and to encourage them to educate themselves on things that they probably don't know about by sending them YouTube video links, books to read, podcasts to listen to, um, and then having them over for dinner. So in conversation, you could be used by God to help them. Final image in my prayer for you was John Brebuff and Isaac Jokes. These are two saints in our church's history, first North American martyrs, Jesuits. They came here and they ministered to the indigenous people that were on this land before it was taken over. Um, and they listened well to these people who were very different, these um, indigenous people of the Americas, of Canada, North America continent. And they did not always agree with these people. They didn't understand them, but they leaned into a relationship with them. And because they leaned into a relationship with them and allow these people to impact their hearts and their minds, and they actually listened to the people's culture and reverenced it, the people were able to listen to them share the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of the people became Catholic um, were persecuted for their faith, and one of them became a Catholic saint. Her name was St. Kateri Tekakwitha. So the fruit of you leaning into difficult relationships could be future canonized saints 
boom, mind blown. So that's my encouragement for you, my sister, is to to be open to God sending you places where you're not really going to be comfortable, but for the sake of the gospel being transmitted in a way that only you can do it um, for these people who have a, a great, great gift to offer, but also can really hurt a lot of people whenever they aren't informed on racial inequality in the way that um, they may be participating in racial inequality in their own parish and diocese. So let me know if that was helpful. Hit me up uh, with some further comments, critiques, and questions. Anonymous at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into our final question. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now, for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, 2nd Catholic Edition, an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study, or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. If you're feeling fancy, record a voice note, send it to me as well. We can play it on the show. Also, please rate and review us on iTunes to help other people find out about the gift of the show. Last question comes in from Patrick. Patrick writes this, I am both a Catholic and a libertarian politically, and I wanted to ask your thoughts on the criminalization of marijuana and the war on drugs. While I personally do not condone and discourage others from using drugs that affect your state of mind, I have a difficult time accepting that people should be thrown into prison for essentially putting a plant into their body. I also feel that the war on drugs has only caused drug cartels to grow in power. Sorry for this being a bit lengthy, but how would you advise someone with these conflicting thoughts? Love your podcast and God bless. Okay, so... Patrick, that's a great question, and I pray with this question and wrestle with this question a lot because I have some very strong, strong thoughts on the war on drugs, on the criminalization of marijuana. As many of you know, I don't like marijuana. I did my first podcast or second podcast on why well, I don't think it's good, even if it's legal. Um, but that aside, um, I have some very strong views on the war on drugs. And so I honestly think I can't answer your question at this time, Patrick, because I think there's another question that needs to be asked before we can even delve into your question. And I think the other question that needs to be asked is this, is why has the war on drugs, which began in 1971, disproportionately affected black and brown people more than white people in America? Here's a historical reference that I want to give for us to, to think about. Historically, black people in America have always been persecuted, have always been oppressed 
Black people were brought to America. They were made slaves here. Um, that many of our people died on ships on the way to being um, becoming slaves here. It was really, really terrible. The economy of America was built on black backs, on the backs of black men and women, boys and girls. Um, and then so slavery went on for hundreds of years. Slavery ends. Reconstruction begins. And during Reconstruction period in our American history, um, that's whenever racial terror really began um, to explode in a new way that wasn't seen um, in this sense, now that slavery was not the law of the land, a lot of people began to lynch black people all the time. This is racial lynchings, racial terror. It was going on for a number of years. And then what followed that was the Jim Crow era. The Jim Crow laws were laws that prohibited black people from um, working, praying, playing, living in the same place as white people. Um, and so that's why black people sat on the back of the bus. That's why black people wouldn't be able to move into certain neighborhoods um, by law. That's why redlining happened and, and black people couldn't worship in the same places. If they worship in the same places, they had to sit in the back of the church. And um, this affected the Catholic Church, too. There, there's a bishop in our in our nation. Uh, he applied for seminary for a diocese, and the diocese said no because you're black, so he had to join a religious order, right? So like these Jim Crow laws affected every aspect of society, including the church, unfortunately. And Jim Crow laws oppressed African Americans all the way up into the 1960s when the Civil Rights Act was passed and signed by the president. And that same president at the time then did something else that wasn't good. But anyways, long story short, all these things have happened. Then black people go from all these oppressive practices and policies that were like legit laws of the land. And a few years after that happened in 1971, uh, the war on drugs begins, and the war on drugs um, began to imprison a lot of people. But if you look at this statistics, the war on drugs imprisoned ma- the majority of the people that were imprisoned were were black and brown people, black and brown people. And in my experience as a priest, um, black and brown people aren't the only ones who are abusing marijuana. Right? It was in my experience as a priest, it's been everybody. Not, I'm not saying everybody has done this, but I'm saying people from all different backgrounds. So why has the prison system criminalized and locked up one group of people more than other groups of people? Um, prison population exploded, exploded, right? It exponentially grew after the Jim Crow laws were eradicated during the war on drugs and the Get Tough mo- movement. And so for many of us, we might have looked at the war on drugs as, oh, it's just a great thing. It's, you know, did this and that, whatever. It's keeping people off of our streets who are affecting our families. But in reality, only one group of people historically is really getting targeted. I'm not saying some white people haven't gone to jail for this, but I'm saying the majority of people have been black and brown when I think equally blacks and whites and browns have all abused drugs. But depending on where you live and the neighborhoods that you live in is is what defines whether or not you're going to go to to jail. So I think the real thing that we need to be focusing on is that question. Why has the war on drugs disproportionately affected one group of people and not everyone equally. That's where we need to go because the war on drugs happened right after the Jim Crow laws went out. Jim Crow laws were what oppressed people at one point. This has now broken the families apart in a new way. And I think that drugs are not good um, and there needs to be justice, but I think that justice needs to be distributed equally amongst all peoples of all backgrounds, of all cultures, of all ethnicities in our nation and that's where the Catholic Church can step up to the plate and begin to pray fast and work together to bring about authentic reform. So 
the fact that you personally are against drugs, but you're also against the prison sentencing is a, it's a beautiful tension to live in right now. But I, I want to encourage you, um, Patrick, to delve into that question about why is one group of people being disproportionately affected um, in this country since the Jim Crow laws went um, out, out of effect. So I'm going to leave you with that question to focus on to pray with and to keep the conversation going so we can dialogue, because I really believe in dialoguing is where we are going to begin to find um, answers. And then the answers can be applied by different members of the body of Christ who have different gifts and charisms um, to work together to bring about an authentic transformation by inviting different people's gifts to sit at the same table, discern, and then work and bring about justice in the eyes of God. So that's today's show. And that's if, if, you're, if you're wondering why did I apply that, that question about the prison system, about um, the war on drugs to Black History Month special, is because of the amount of black people who have been disproportionately affected by that. So that's why I kind of connected those two together. So um, universal points from today's episode, get to know history. Number one is get to know history. History will help us to see some things through a lens from which we may have never looked at them before. Some things will only make sense if we understand authentic history and the implications of slavery, of racial terror, lynchings, of Jim Crow, um, and of certain laws that have gone to effect since um, that have affected um, people in such a way that it causes a great division, even in the body of Christ. Whenever it comes to going into situations that are uncomfortable, I want to encourage you to imitate the apostles who left their comfort zone. They were in their holy huddle. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended upon them and sent them to go out and be in relationship with people who were different from them. That's Acts chapter 2. That's biblical. If you receive the Holy Spirit, go out into other Christian communities when I'm, and share the joy of the gospel and go to different masses um, with, with people of different backgrounds from you so that we can engage them and in, in grow in relationship with them, be transformed by them, but also be used by God to transform them. When it comes to racial diverse artwork, what what can it hurt to, to add a few pieces of art in our churches, a few pieces of stained glass windows in our churches um, that are, are just simply not solely European? It won't hurt anything. It will only help people fall in love with Jesus, stay in love with Jesus, and abide in Jesus now and in the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. And that's why we're here. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Give us the grace to imitate those apostles who went out of the upper room and into a relationship with people who are different from them and who worked with people who are different from them and who evangelized and sacramentalized and catechized with people who are different from them and their walk toward eternity. Give us the grace to get out of our comfort zones and to form disciples of Jesus Christ to, to be the agents and instruments of potential saints in the future, Lord, by going out of our comfort zones and engaging with other members of the body of Christ who are different from us, recognizing, Father, that they have a gift to give to us and we have a gift to give to them. And if we share our gifts together, then together we can all become great saints. Oh, Jesus, we love you so much. Give us the grace to be saints, to form saints, and our walk toward eternity. Okay, God bless. I cannot wait to continue accompanying you toward heaven. God bless. 